Uh, well, we're, uh, we're talking in these uh, Wednesday night services. I've um, uh, been teaching a subject entitled The Human Spirit. And we've got two main scriptures, two main texts that we've been using for that. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 23. And then Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27. First, uh, did I say First Peter? I meant to say First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians 5.23. First Thessalonians 5.23 says, And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So man is a spirit. He has a soul, which is made up of the mind, the will, and the emotions, and he lives in a body. Proverbs 20, verse 27 says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Another translation says the light of the Lord or the lamp of the Lord. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Well, light is symbolic and is talking about something that will enlighten your darkness or something that will provide uh, a sure path for you or guidance or direction. So it's saying that the spirit of man is what God uses to enlighten you, to bring truth to your understanding. The spirit of man is what God uses to, to direct you and guide you by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Well, that sounds good, but how's he going to lead us? Verse 16 of Romans chapter 8 says, The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. Now, we've uh, we've talked a little bit about locating the human spirit, spent some, uh, several weeks on that. We talked a little bit about developing the human spirit. We're in the middle of doing that or uh, have been in the middle of that for some time. I can't seem to get away from that. I, I keep thinking, well, all right, I need to move on to something else. And, I, and, and, and each week, for the last three or four weeks anyway, I keep coming back to it and I'm there again tonight. We found that spiritual development really has four points. Now, we know that you can develop the mind. Schools and educational uh, institutions are all about developing the mind. There are um, um, uh, courses and classes and and um, uh, exercise programs to, to improve your memory and improve your mental capacity and so forth. Millions and billions of dollars have been spent on the education or the training of the human mind. We also know that to be true of the, of the body. Billions of dollars are spent training the flesh. But what do we know of training the human spirit? If man is a spirit, and it's his spirit that's born again, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things have become new. Well, the only things that pass away are spiritual things. The only things that become new are spiritual things. Physical things aren't, don't become new. Mental things, emotional things, things of the soul don't become new. It's only the spirit that's made new. So if man is a spirit, it's a spirit that's recreated at the new birth when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives. And it's our spirit that the Holy Ghost uses to guide us. It sounds to me like the spirit's pretty important. But how much effort do we put into developing in spirit? Well, in most circles, it's not even considered. In most circles, if you if you talk about it, then people look at you like you're crazy because nobody ever refers to these things and certainly no, uh, no great deal. Or, or teaching in any measure that's, uh, that we would consider to be significant is done in this area whatsoever. But the Bible's pretty clear on what the, what this, uh, what the, the steps are or what the ingredients are to developing in spirit. Wouldn't it be foolish for God to, to tell us what the importance of the spirit of man is and then not tell us how to operate effectively spiritually? Well, Jesus said in Matthew chapter four and verse four, when he was tempted of the devil, the devil appeared to him and said, if you're the son of God, command these stones to be turned into bread. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So Jesus is saying the same thing that food is for the natural body. The word of God is for the spirit. Well, what's food for the natural body? What's bread for the body? It's food. It's something that, that provides nutrition for us. It's something that provides strength for us. In the same way, the word of God provides food or nutrition for our spirit. And it provides strength for us spiritually. So we know, therefore, that any spiritual development is going to have to be based on the word if Jesus knew what he was talking about. And I believe he did. So we've identified four different points from the scripture about how to to put the word first or how to operate in the word of God, how to live by the word of God so that you can develop in spirit. We've uh, looked for a couple of weeks at at, uh, Joshua chapter one and verse eight, which gives you a couple of those points. God's talking to Joshua, who's taking over for Moses as the children of Israel. And he said, this book of the law, which is all the word of God they had back then. So we might interchange the word of God instead of book of the law to be more inclusive than what they had. This book of the law, or this word of God, shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein. 
Point number one for developing in spirit is to meditate in the word. And notice meditation has something to do with the word, with the word coming out of your mouth. It has something to do with you speaking the word. That's what Bible meditation is. Bible meditation is not like Eastern meditation, and, and a lot of times Christians get freaked out by the idea of meditation because all they know of is what they've heard, uh, stories they've heard about Eastern religions and meditation and the place that it holds. Eastern religion teaches you to, to empty your mind. Bible meditation is to fill your mind with the Word of God by speaking it over and over and over again. There's as much difference between Eastern meditation and Bible meditation as there is between daylight and dark. So God's telling Joshua how to be a success. Now, if God is saying this is important for Joshua to be a success, how important is that for us to recognize if we want to have success in our lives? I mean, let's face it, most of the church world thinks that God's just picking and choosing, picking winners and picking losers anyway. Seems like he's picked Joshua to be a winner since he's going to be the leader of the children of Israel. Why didn't he just tell Joshua, don't worry, I've got it all handled? That's the way most people think God works. Well, if it was the way that it would work, wouldn't it work that way then in that case? Instead, he said, Joshua, I want you to be a success, so here's the thing that you need to do. You need to become proficient in the word of God. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. To what end? What's the purpose for meditating in the word? That thou may observe to do according to all that's written therein. So here's the second point. Be a doer of the word or practice the word in your life. Now, I think we've made this comment before. I'm not talking about practice like you practice the piano. I'm talking about practice like a lawyer practices law or like a doctor practices medicine. Make it the business of your life. I'm not talking about a hobby. God's not talking about making the word a hobby. He's talking about making it the business of your life. In other words, give it a place of priority. And that's the third step is give the word first place in your life. Now, when he said he gave the, these points and gave this direction and instruction to Joshua, he said, meditate in the word of God. Don't let the word depart from your mouth, but meditate therein day and night. So it must be a full-time job. It must be something he expects you to be able to do everywhere you go. Some people say, well, I've got a job. I've got responsibilities to my family. I can't do that. Folks, you can meditate in the word for seconds at a time. Any, any, during anything and everything else you're doing. God knows he, that you've got a job. Bible says if a man doesn't work, you shouldn't be able to eat. God wants you to work. But he also wants you to keep the word for, first and foremost in your thinking. First and foremost in your heart. Make the word of God the business of your life even while you're on the job or even while you're attending to your family. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. You know, it's uh, it wouldn't do you any good to meditate in the Word if you're not going to live the Word in your life. How many times do we see and hear of situations where people spend good money to go to seminars, sales seminars, learn how to be a better salesman, how to make a million dollars selling something and that kind of stuff? What would happen if they went to these seminars, spent all the money on the tapes and the books and the resources and all the other things that there were, went back home, sat in their living room and said, I don't understand why I'm not selling. Well, all those resources aren't going to do any good if you don't get out there and beat the bushes and do some selling. So it's not enough to know how. It's also important that you do it, that you practice the word in your life. God said that if you become a doer, if you meditate in the word and become a doer of the word, he told Joshua, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. And then thou shalt have good success. It's amazing to me how many Christians overlook the fact that God expects us to make our way prosperous. Most Christians I know of are praying that God will prosper them, that God will make them a success, that God will do something to put them over the hump. Yet God said, if you want to be a success, if you want to prosper, it comes to the Word. It comes to meditating in the Word and being a doer of the Word. Then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. Now, God, folks, if God didn't want you to succeed, why would He tell you how? The fact that He gave you the steps to success, and those steps include, those steps are centered around, those steps are based on the Word of God and the attention that you give the Word of God in your own life should be a huge key for us and should be an incentive for each and every one of us to be a success in whatever we do, shouldn't it?
Now, in Proverbs chapter four, we've also looked at this. Proverbs chapter four, verse 20, it says, my son, attend unto my words. What does that mean? That means give the word first place. It's a it's another way of saying what we've already said before. If you're going to meditate in the word and be a doer of the word, it's going to be because you give the word first place. Proverbs tells you specifically, here's what you need to do. And here are the benefits of doing it. My son, attend unto my words. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Well, you wouldn't incline your ear under the sayings of God and under the word of God unless you gave the word first place in your life, would you? So many times people are looking for some other option. Well, Pastor Mike, what do you think about this? I don't think anything other than what the Bible says about anything. Yeah, well, Pastor so-and-so said this, and then I've heard some other people preach this. I'll always ask the same question. Well, what does the word say? Well, what about the doctor, though? The, the doctor told me this. Folks, if you're going to attend to the words, if you're going to give the word of, of God first place, you may take all those other things into consideration. It may be good for you to realize what the doctor is saying, but you're going to give first place. You're going to give the majority of your attention. You're going to give your uh, understanding and your belief to what God said above everybody else. You know, that's one reason I really don't like counseling much. Because I've found that most people in counseling are looking for you to tell them what they already want to do instead of what the Bible says. And so many times people will call and they'll say, well, Pastor Mike, I want to, I want to meet with you for counseling. I don't like to do that. In the first place, it doesn't take much time to deal with the situation. Most everybody thinks that once they come in, they've got to take an hour and, and do that. I'll always say, well, why don't you talk to me after service? And, and nine times out of ten, they will. Some people will say, well, I don't, well, I'm not planning to come to service. Well, that may be part of your problem right there. I can't tell you how many times I've been facing situations and I've been in services and the Lord dealt with that through the minister and it answered my problem or answered my question and I didn't have to counsel with anybody. But anyway, I'll have most of the time people will come and they'll come and talk to me and they'll say, I've got a huge problem. Here's here's my situation. And my question is always the same. What does the word say? Sometimes they know, most times they don't. Sometimes I'll have people, because I say this often enough, I'll have people that'll come and they'll say, Pastor Mike, here's the situation. Can you tell me what the Word says about that? Well, I'm glad to help you, but I don't want to do your work for you. Because what I know the Word says about the situation doesn't matter where your success is concerned. I've found that the greatest success that I have in praying with people is when people come and say, Pastor Mike, here's the situation. Here's what the Word says. Will you agree with me? (laughs) Yeah, you bet. Because that's when you get results. But if I've got to find the Scripture for you, then that means you're going to have to take time to meditate in the Scripture so that it becomes alive to you. For me to say, well, no problem, here's what the Word says, and then pray. Well, if I'm praying for myself, I can get results that way because I know what the Word says, and it's, it's a part of me. I've already meditated on it. But that's not going to help you. So my son attended to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from before your eyes. That means keep your eyes on the promise of God all the time. See yourself with the answer that the Bible says is yours, in other words. Then finally it says, keep them in the midst of your heart. Here's uh, another reference or another way of talking about meditating. Meditating in the Word is keeping the Word in your heart. How do you do that? By not letting it depart from your mouth. Continue to say what the Word says. Now, why do we want to do that? Well, we just quoted Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. Verse 22 is the results. For they, my words, the word that you're supposed to put first and incline your ear to and not let your eyes depart from and keep in the midst of your heart. For they, my words, are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Now, I wonder if that's the same life that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, sure it is. The Holy Ghost, who inspired the writer of the Proverbs, isn't going to be talking about a different kind of life than Jesus is talking about, since he was inspired by the same Holy Ghost to say it. Your Christian life depends on your attention to the Word. Now, there's... Uh, um, I've got to be careful how I say some of these things, because I don't want it to come out as condemnation, and, and I, I don't have any extra grind with anybody. So let me say it like this. I've I've certainly fallen into this category. There are a lot of times where I thought I was acting on the word and I found out later on I wasn't. And the reason for that is because I didn't take the time to find out what needed to be done up front. 
And there have been other times, and I see this a lot with people, where I've decided in my own situation, in my own circumstance, here's how I want it to be. And so I just started pursuing it, maybe even pursuing it through prayer, when all the time I was ignoring what the Holy Ghost was trying to lead me to anyway. We gave you the first three points of spiritual development. Meditate in the Word, be a doer of the Word, or practice the Word. The third point is to give the Word first place. The fourth point is very simply this. Instantly obey the voice of your spirit. Because if you're feeding your spirit with the Word of God, that's the place where the Holy Ghost is going to bring guidance and direction for you, is through your spirit. That's where the Holy Ghost has something to lead you with. Let me give you an example. There was a, a situation that uh, that happened. This was many years ago. Uh, well, not too many years ago, maybe five or six years ago, I guess, something like that. We had just started TV, and... Um, uh, a lady came up to me after a service, and, and I, I'm not making fun of her. I'm just telling you how it happened. She said, Pastor Mike, can I talk to you for a minute? And I said, well, sure, no problem. What's up? Well, as soon as she said she wanted to talk to me, all of a sudden her eyes filled up with tears. And these great big old, I don't mean little tears, I mean these great big old crocodile tears started coming out of her eyes. And she got overwhelmed. She's <laughs> doing all this kind of stuff and that kind of thing. So it took her several minutes before she calmed down to even tell me what was going on. When she finally calmed down, she said this. She said, Pastor Mike, the place that I work, I've worked there for about five years, and the place that I work is so terrible to me. I take my Bible and read it on breaks. I won't read it at my desk or anything like that because I don't want to steal from my the, my my boss, you know, steal his time for the Word. But on breaks and at lunch, I'll have my the, the Bible with me. And everybody there knows that I'm a Christian. And everybody there picks on me. Everybody makes fun of me. Everybody uh, gives me a hard time. Nobody else in the place is a Christian. And everybody just makes every day just a living hell for me. She said, and not only that, but somehow or another it came out that I go to this church. And now that you're on TV, they found out that we believe in healing. So now anytime I come in and I've got a runny nose or sniffles or something like that, they'll all make fun of me and say, well, wait a minute, I thought you believed in healing. She said, Pastor Mike, it's just so terrible. I just need some help. I said, okay, well, what do you want me to do? She said, I want you to agree with me. I have decided to quit. And I want you to agree with me that God will give me a better job. Well, as soon as she said that, I knew something wasn't right. So I said, well, okay. I said, we could do that. I can agree with you that God will give you a better job, but I can't promise you that God will answer it. She said, but I thought the Bible says if two of us agree. She thought she had me. I thought the Bible said if two or more of us agree on anything that we ask here on the earth, that God would do it for us. I said, yeah, as long as you're not violating the direction of the Holy Spirit. She said, what do you mean? I said, have you prayed about whether or not you're supposed to quit? And folks, it was like I'd slapped her with a wet rag. She had never even thought of it. She said, well, well, no. And then, then things changed just as she, you know, you could see the gears working in her mind. Things changed again. And she said, but God wouldn't want me to work in a place like that. And I said, well, you could be right. But I said, let me ask you this. Does God love those people? She said, well, yes. Jesus died for them too. And I said, if you pick up and run because they made fun of you for being a Christian, who do you think is going to be the one to reach them? And then she started crying even harder. She said, oh, Pastor Mike, do you mean that I've got to stay there? Are you telling me that God wants me to stay there? I said, I don't know what God wants you to do. But I do know this. I know that if God, I said, let me ask you, what is your dream job? Would it be some uh, Christian organization where the boss loves God, where he's thrilled and delighted to have you be in an environment where you could read your Bible on break and at lunch and all this kind of stuff, and everybody, they, maybe they even pray Christ, play Christian music during the, the, the work day. Would that be what you would want? She said, oh, that would be wonderful. I said, well, let me tell you something I do know. What I know is if God wanted us all to live in Christian bubbles, then he'd take us to heaven as soon as we got born again. But he didn't, did he? He left us here, and he left us here with a job, and that job is to reach the lost. And she said, well, Pastor Mike, what what am I supposed to do? 
You could see that she really wanted to follow God. She really wanted to do what God wanted to do from her heart. But the thought of going back to that, that hostile Christian environment or uh, environment that was hostile to Christians at her work was just, just something she didn't want to consider. I said, what does the Bible say about who's in you? She said, well, I've got God living in me. I said, yeah. And doesn't the Bible say greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world? She said, well, yeah, it sure does. And I said, are you telling me, therefore, that the Holy Spirit, the greater one, the one that you know that heals, saves, delivers, rescues, and does miracles, are you telling me that he's not big enough to handle the people, the punks that you've got at your office? She said, well, I don't know. I just don't know. We spent about 10 or 15 minutes talking this thing through. And before it was over, I had her all charged up, told her how to pray, told her how to handle the situation, told her how that when she went into the office every morning to say, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Instead of expecting for it to be a bad day because everybody's going to make fun of me, which is what she was doing. She's going in every morning saying, oh, Lord, help me because do you know how they're going to make fun of me? Well, that's not how you get the strength of God to work. You gotta be a doer of the word. You gotta accept the word of God to be true. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, it doesn't seem like I've got strength at the office. Well, the Bible says you've got it. So are you gonna incline your ear to his sayings? You're gonna put the word first? You're gonna put your feelings first. Well, over a period of time, she wound up getting a couple of those people saved. And then they started bringing their Bibles to lunch. And they started having a little Bible study. Not everybody in the group got saved, but several of them did. But the whole environment changed. Now, what do you think God's more pleased with? Her having a float on flowery beds of ease job? Or being in a situation where she could reach people? Now, here's my point. She didn't know that she wasn't operating on the Word. She came with the Word of God to me to get me to agree with her on a scripture that she thought would fit. When all the time the Holy Ghost was trying to tell her on the inside. She told me this later. She told me about a month afterwards. She said, you know, when you said that, part of the reason that I got so afraid is because I knew you were right. I said, what do you mean by that? She said, when you said that I was the only one that was going to reach them or who else would reach them if I picked up and ran, she said something went off on the inside of me and I knew that that was right. Well, see, that was her spirit trying to tell her all the time before we ever talked. But she never considered it because it's not the way she wanted it to be. Folks, the Bible is full of situations and examples where people try to do their own thing. They tried to have it their own way. When it comes to the things of God, you can't have it your own way. You remember Moses? Moses was instructed by God to, to strike the rock the first time and water would come out. But he came around to the rock the second time after wandering in the wilderness for a period of time. Now he's mad at the people. God said, the second time you come to the rock, speak to it. Because that was a type of Jesus. The first time was when Jesus was smitten on the cross and living water, waters of life came out. The second time was a type of what the new birth is like and the new covenant situation is like when we receive the water of life through our confession. But Moses was mad at the people. So the second time around, he hit the rock. Well, water came out all right, but it cost him. You remember what it cost him? He wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. He saw it from afar, but after leading the children of Israel for 40 years, he wasn't allowed to go in. You can't have it your way. Let me give you an example, uh, tell you a story, something that happened, that uh, something I heard related by somebody that I have had the utmost respect. He since uh, utmost respect for. He since gone home to be with the Lord. But T.L. Osborne was a was a as a teenager. The Lord appeared to him. And told him to go on the mission field. And he had win millions of people to the Lord. Well, people hear a teenager say something like that. And they think, yeah, right. And so, Brother Osborne, this was at the, this was, uh, well, when would it have been? I guess it would have been about uh, early 50s. I'm sorry, not early 50s, early 40s, early 1940s. And so he went to the mission field and failed miserably. Now, you would expect if God gave you a vision, if Jesus appeared to you and told you what he wanted you to do, you'd expect that it would work, wouldn't you? Well, he was so confused, he came back, he was distraught, he didn't know what was going on, he didn't know why this has happened, but he was such a failure, he had made such a big deal about going to the mission field and about the vision he'd had of Jesus, and a lot of people knew it, or had heard him say it. And so when he came back, 
He was so embarrassed. He was so humiliated. He just didn't know what to do. But it was so tough for him on the mission field. He got so zero results out there. And so he just said, that's it. I'm never going back. And so after he decided, forget it, I'm not going, then he began to question everything about it. Did Jesus really appear to me? Did he really tell me to do this? You know how the devil beats you up when you give up. Tries to make you give up, and then once you do, he beats you up for it. So now he's back in the States, and, and, and I'm hearing him tell the story himself. And he said, I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to turn my back on God completely. I was mad at him because I thought he had done me wrong. But I didn't want to turn my back on him completely, so I just went to church. And he said, I went to a church, and there was a gentleman there, a minister there, and he said, he saw me. And he must have known who I was or knew something about me, because he came over to me and he said, aren't you T.L. Osborne? He said, yeah. And, and at this point, T.L. Osborne is just maybe 20 years old, something like that, 19 maybe. So he says, yes, sir, I am. He said, well, I've always wanted to meet you. I heard the story about Jesus appearing to you and you going to the mission field. And he said, I was just so encouraged by that. I just wanted to, I've always wanted to meet you. I'm, I'm delighted to have the opportunity. And Brother Osborne hung his head and he thought, does this guy not know what happened? He's thinking everybody must know what happened. Uh, the, the word is out to, to everybody as far as he was concerned. At least it seemed that way to him. And so anyway, this guy kept, kept talking about how honored he was to meet him. Older gentleman probably in his late 60s, early 70s, something like that, but just treating Brother Osborne like he was something really special. And so Brother Osborne finally said, look, you've got it all wrong. I did go to the mission field, and we failed. We didn't get anybody saved. We came back sick. We came back defeated. We came back. It it couldn't have gone any worse than it went. And the, the older gentleman, the older minister smiled, and he said, well, I kind of knew that. He said, I'd heard some stories about it, and the Lord told me to seek you out. He said, because there's something that you need that you didn't take with you. Well, it was the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, Brother Osborne had known about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but by his own admission, he said, our church, our group, didn't believe in speaking in tongues. And I thought that when Jesus appeared to me and told me to go to the mission field, what do I need the other for? If I would have needed it, he would have told me to get it first and then go. Now, what he's doing is he's thinking, putting his own thinking about over what the Bible says. If Jesus told the disciples after they were born again, tarry in Jerusalem until you receive the the power from on high, be endued with power from on high. If they needed the baptism of the Holy Ghost after seeing Jesus risen in the flesh... Why would we think we wouldn't? But see, he had it all figured out according to his his denominational teaching. Here's what Brother Osborne said. He said, Jesus was my Savior, but he wasn't yet my Lord. Now, that statement shocked me. I'll never forget hearing that statement. Because here's a man that has committed his life. At that point in time, he would committed his life probably 50-some-odd years to serving the Lord, had done more for God than it, just about anybody you in, in the history of the church as far as ministering to people and getting people saved. And to hear him admit that he went to the mission field before Jesus was really his Lord. He was saved, born again. But he said, I had not put the Word of God first place in every respect in my life. This older gentleman told him about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, showed him in the Bible, walked him step by step, laid hands on him, Brother Osmond was filled with the Spirit, began speaking with other tongues. He didn't want to get kicked out of his group, so he didn't make a, never did really make a big deal about the speaking in tongues. But he confided in us. He told the students at the chapel service at Ramah, he said, not a day has gone by that I haven't spoken in tongues. He said, it's the secret of success to my ministry. I went back to the mission field, and everything that happened happened as a result of that. Now, there's no way you could have convinced him first time out on his way out that he was not putting God first in every area. But it's real easy for us to get caught up in our own thinking about things rather than put the word first, isn't it? Real easy to do that. When the Bible tells us to put the word first, attend to the word, it really means pay attention to it enough to make sure that you're doing what the Bible says, living what the Bible says. 
Brother Hagin said this, and I, I, I really didn't like to hear it when he first said it, but I know it's true. I've learned over the years that it's true. I knew it was true then, but I've learned it by experience now. You don't really know the word unless you're living it. You can know what it says. But there's a big difference in knowing what it says and knowing it. And the only way you're going to know it is live it. James said, be here, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. We got a lot of self-deceived people. It's easy to be self-deceived. You know, the problem with being deceived, you don't know you are. You know, the way to keep from being deceived, do what the word says instead of what you think. Put the word first in your life. Put the word first in your life. Now, let me take a few minutes. Uh, I think last, I think it was last Sunday night or last, uh, what is this, Wednesday? Last Wednesday night. I think right at the end of the service last Wednesday night, I made a, a comment that it would do you well. It would serve you well to go through the Bible and find out what the Bible says about the fear of the Lord. Well, I've got it on my heart to go through some of those scriptures. Turn back with me to Deuteronomy. Let's start in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You may think, well, what does the fear of the Lord have to do with this? Well, let me show you. I'm going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 1. Here's Moses telling the children of Israel giving them instruction about going into the promised land. The whole book of Deuteronomy is basically Moses' farewell speech. Joshua takes over in the first chapter of the book that bears his name. And most everything in the book of Deuteronomy is Moses saying, all right, now I'm not going in with you, so here's what you need to know. Now notice what he says beginning in Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whether you go to possess it. Talking about the promised land. Now, folks, the promised land is a type of what we have in the new birth. The Old Testament says that uh, the, the, uh, the New Testament tells us about the Old Testament experience, about when Israel crossed the Red Sea coming out of Egypt. It says that's a type of salvation. Well, then what's, a ty- what's the type or the example of crossing the Jordan River over into the promised land? The baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's why Jesus told the disciples, don't even think about having church without the Spirit, without being baptized in the Spirit. See, I know that denominations and and church groups and different sections of the church world has disagreement about whether or not speaking in tongues is for everybody, whether everybody needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit, or whether you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues. I know there's a lot of controversy about that, but God's not in the controversy. God intended every one of his people, everyone that, that wanted to be a part of the kingdom of God to be saved by the blood of Jesus and then to receive the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking out of the tongues. It's settled as far as God's concerned. God expects every person to use the power of the Holy Spirit to possess the land. Now, the promised land for us is everything Jesus purchased for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what the Old Testament promised land is a type of. So he says, here's what you need to do. These are the commandments. And the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whether you go to possess it. Notice he's talking about doing the word in the promised land. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments. What I want to see, want you to see in this scripture is very simply this. What the Bible calls the fear of the Lord is very simply doing the word. That means, therefore, that if we're not doers of the word, no matter what feelings we have toward God, it's not fear of the Lord. We've got a lot of people in the church world that do not fear the Lord because they're putting other things first in, in, uh, before the word of God as far as the way they live their lives. That can be your thinking. That can be church teaching. It can be any number of things. But what it comes down to is, if you fear the Lord, you'll do what the Bible says, no matter who says whatever else. That thou mightest fear the Lord, do the word to go in the land whether you go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Notice the first thing he says about the fear of the Lord, doing the word, is it'll extend your life. 
You remember the one thing that the Bible says about uh, uh, the church of Corinth, how that um, uh, they were not rightly dividing the Lord's body during the communion. They were taking communion with the wrong attitude, not discerning the Lord's body. Paul said for this cause, because they didn't have the right attitude. In other words, because they weren't doers of the word where the, the communion was concerned. They were drinking the, the wine. They were eating the bread. But because the attitude of their heart, their understanding about these things was skewed. He said, for this cause, many sleep. Many are weak and sickly and many sleep. Other translations say this is the reason why some have chronic weaknesses and have died prematurely. I know people don't like to think in these terms, but going to the wrong church can cost you years of your life. Yet notice how people choose things like that. People choose the things of God based on personality, based on popularity, based on the reputation things have. Oh, this is a famous church. Let's go there. Well, is it famous enough to get you in the grave quicker? Notice verse 24. There's a lot of these we could read that that are applicable. Verse 24 of Deuteronomy 6. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God. I want to make sure you understand that the Bible says over and over again. And folks, I could give you 50 scriptures that say exactly the same thing as this. I just want you to see that the Bible says that fearing the Lord is keeping the word, doing the word of God. That's what fearing the Lord is. It's putting the Word of God first place in your life to such a degree that you live it. Well, you can't live it if you don't know what it says. That's where meditating in the Word comes in. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, for our good always. Why does God want you to put such an emphasis on His Word? For your good. That means there's not one area of life that you being a doer of the Word will work to your disadvantage. You may be persecuted. There may be opposition against you. But you stick with the word and you'll come out on top. For our good always. That he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Look next with me to Deuteronomy chapter 14. We want to start reading in verse uh, 22. The preceding verses are verses about what you can eat and what you can't eat and all that kind of stuff. Verse 22, Deuteronomy 14, verse 22, he says, Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed that the field bringeth forth year by year. And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there, the tithe of thy corn, of thy wine, and of thy oil, the firstlings of thy herds and of thy flocks, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. One thing the Bible identifies specifically as far as fearing the Lord is learning to tithe. Now, why do you have to learn to tithe? Because it hurts when you start. And no matter how long you do it, no matter how uh, committed you are to the practice of tithing, of giving the Lord 10% of your income, is there any time, has there ever been any time that you haven't had at least the opportunity, maybe not the thought, usually the thought too, but you at least have not had the opportunity to use that 10% for something else? And usually you'll think of that something else just before the plate comes by. It's funny how the devil works that way, isn't it? Yet the Bible says fearing the Lord includes the tithe. Now, some people will tell you, well, tithing is an Old Testament practice. Okay. Hebrews 7 is in the New Testament. It talks about tithing. Here are men that die, pay tithes or take receive tithes. But there, meaning in heaven, it's a witness that Jesus is alive. Well, when did that stop? When did tithing stop being a witness that you believe Jesus is risen from the dead? That sounds New Testament to me. But I'm not going to argue with somebody. If somebody says, no, that's an Old Testament practice, okay, that's all right with me. But notice that there's a result here. It's failing to fear the Lord. 
Okay, let me go through these a little bit quicker. I'm taking too much time on these. Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 talks about the blessings of Abraham and the curse of the broken law. Verse 58. If thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that thou mayest fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God, then the Lord will make, literally allow, thy plagues to be wonderful, and the plagues of thy seed, even great plagues and of long continuance, and sore sicknesses and of long continuance. And then it goes on and talks about other sicknesses and other diseases. Notice it says that the reason that the people of God are sick is because they fail to fear the Lord. Well, I wonder if that's changed. That's the way it was in the Old Testament. I wonder if that's changed today. Look at the controversy there is in the body of Christ about whether healing is for everyone. Well, if the Bible says Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes were healed, why does that not solve the, you know, solve the problem? Why does that not answer the issue? Well, for me and you, hopefully for you too, for me at least, it has solved the issue. But there's a lot of people in the body of Christ that have other ideas. Now, folks, I'm not insulting anybody. I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm telling you that the Bible says that those other ideas is a failure to fear the Lord. Look with me next to Psalm 25. Start in verse 12. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. Notice fearing the Lord brings direction. It's it's the way that God teaches you. He teaches you through his word. His soul shall dwell at ease, verse 13, and his seed shall inherit the earth. Sounds pretty good. The secret of the Lord, verse 14, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Now, covenant refers to blessings. It refers to the blessings of Abraham. And notice it says that God's secret belongs to those that put God's word first in their lives. What is the secret? I can't tell you. It's a secret. The secret of the Lord winds up being anything that you need to know in your situation. The secret of the Lord is not one secret. The secret of the Lord is the answer for you. And notice how that comes. It comes for those, and it implies that it doesn't come without being one of those that fear God. And remember, we've already seen that fearing the Lord is putting the Word of God first place, living the Word in your life. Psalm 33. I don't know if I'm going to get through all these, but I'll, I'll try. Verse, thir- verse 18, Psalm 33, verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Sounds to me like it's worth fearing the Lord. This is what belongs to the person that is a doer of the word. The eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him. Again, the implication is God doesn't keep his eye on those who don't fear him. Why? Because they've chosen to go their own way. The eye of the Lord is upon those that do the word. That doesn't mean God loves people that do the word more than he loves other people that have made Jesus the Lord of their lives. It means that his eye, his hand, his blessing, his mercy is upon his word. If you're a doer of the word, you're in. But it's your choice. Look with me to Psalm 34, I think is the next one. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Now, a lot of people want to use that scripture just because they're saved. Is that really what it means? I can tell you stories of ministers as well as other Christians who in some cases have been greatly used of God, but they violated some of the spiritual principles that we're talking about. They violated the spiritual principle of putting the word first in their life, maybe in one area or maybe in another area. They violated the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm thinking of a, of a, a plane that went down that had four missionaries in it. And all four of these guys were used of God in great ways. One guy survived out of the plane crash. And he said that the pilot 
who was killed in the crash too. The pilot said, the weather's too bad, we shouldn't go down. And, the, and at least some of the ones, other ones in the plane said, no, we're men of faith, we can do it. Oh, really? Well, I'm glad they got their heavenly reward, but they picked it up a little sooner than they needed to. The angel of the Lord encamps around about those that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Notice he equates fearing the Lord with trusting in him. Verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for there is no want. The word want is the word lack. There is no want or lack or deficiency or impoverishment. Poverty, in other words. To them that fear him. Sounds to me like it's worth being a doer of the word. I don't know if we're going to get through, but we're just getting started. Psalm 103. Verse 11. For as the heaven is high above all the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as we removed our transgressions from us. Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. The word pitieth here really means to hold close. Like you would fondle a baby. It's talking about a special place in God's love. Psalm 147. The Lord, verse 11, Psalm 47, 147, verse 11. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. You want to make God happy? Be a doer of the word. He takes pleasure in those that fear him. Notice Proverbs chapter 1. This is talking about wisdom. I guess I better back up. Um, verse 24. We'll start in verse 24. Because I have called and you have refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded, but you have set it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear comes. Now, folks, he's talking about trouble comes to people that hear the word. That's not the safe place. Hearing the word is not the safe place. Doing the word is. When your fear cometh, uh, verse 27, when your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. You make a decision you're going to go your way and your own way instead of be a doer of the word. God will let you go your way. Yeah, but now I've repented. I want the word to work for me. In some situations, you can't turn them around. And when you finally get through, you can be a doer of the word from that point forward. But some situations you can't turn around if the Bible's true. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For, verse 29, that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. That's a tough place to be in, folks. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, we all know this one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Verse 7, be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. In other words, he's saying there's a difference between fearing the Lord, being a doer of the word and your own thinking. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want wisdom? You're going to have to be a doer of the word. Have you ever noticed over in, uh, uh, what is it, Acts chapter 6, I think it is, where the, um, the dispute arises in the early church because some people are not being taken care of in the daily operations as well as some of the other people, the, the Greeks, uh, the Gentile believers are um, being mistreated or treated less less well than uh, the Jewish widows and so forth. The answer that Peter and the apostles give is to choose out seven men among you. Pick seven guys. Now, at this point, the church is at least 7,000-plus people big in Jerusalem. So he says, pick out seven men. There are three qualifications. Seven men of honest report. In the sense, you wouldn't want people operating in business affairs that didn't have an honest report. 
And then the second thing is full of the Holy Ghost. And then the third thing is full of wisdom. Did you realize that there's a difference between being full of the Holy Ghost and being full of wisdom? Not everybody in the spirit field is full of wisdom. As a matter of fact, you can find some of the craziest charismatic people that you could possibly imagine. That was one of the big objections that I had early on after I got filled with the Holy Ghost. I did not want to be associated with some of the nutcases that said they were spirit-filled. Because churches that I was acquainted with, they just everybody knew these people were crazy. It was a great blessing to me to find out that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and said, have some order to your services or else people will say you're crazy. It dawned on me that God doesn't want people to say that charismatic people are crazy. Well, what's going to stop them from saying that? Wisdom. Now, we could take a side journey here. We could talk about a lot of things that wisdom that belongs to you because of wisdom. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, let me show you something that the Bible says about wisdom. Uh, Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Uh, I know it's here. Here it is. Wisdom is speaking first person, verse uh, Proverbs chapter 8, verse 20. I lead in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of judgment that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance. And I will fill their treasuries. That's wisdom. You can't have wisdom without the fear of the Lord. Being a doer of the word brings you into wisdom. Wisdom will bring you into an inheritance. Proverbs chapter 10. Verse 27, the fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. Notice he contrasts the fear of the Lord, the doers of the word with the wicked. Now, again, God intends every one of his children to be doers of the word. We know that's not always the case. So which category do they fall in? They don't fall into the prolonging of days side. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. Verse 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Being a doer of the word will keep you from being tripped up. Keep you from being taken in when other people are deceived. I've always been... Blessed by the fact that John Lake calls this life, this Christian life, this believing in the Spirit of God, believing in the power of the Spirit, believing that we are who the Bible says we are, he calls it the strong man's way to God. I love that. That's what this is talking about. In the fear of the Lord, in keeping the word of strong confidence. Next is Proverbs chapter 19. Verse 23, the fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. The word visited doesn't mean won't be attacked with evil. It means evil can't stay. The fear of the Lord builds a hedge around you and gets you through anything and everything that there is. I'll give you one more. We're out of time. Proverbs 22, verse 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. The reason it says humility there, humility means being willing to submit yourself to the word. It's talking about being subject to something greater than yourself. We know what that something is because the New Testament says submit yourselves to the word. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. The only way you can do that is to submit yourself to the Word. By humility and the fear of the Lord, being a doer of the Word, are riches and honor and life. Now, folks, things won't always turn out the way you want them to. I was firmly convinced before the fact that because the Lord told us to build this building, no matter what trouble we ran into, the money would just pour in. It'd be easy, no sweat, no problem. Everything would work just right. Well, it didn't. But the fact that we were doers of the word, 
even though I had the wrong idea. And, and looking back at it, I can see that the Holy Spirit was telling me all the time, this is going to be tough, get ready. Well, I didn't want to think about it being tough. I'm saying, get behind me, Satan. Holy Ghost is trying to give me insights, trying to show me things to come, and I'm saying, get behind me, Satan. Because I don't want to think about anything that's going to be tough. I don't want to think about hard places. Hard places. I'm following God. It's me. Can't be hard. Well, it was. And it was hard for a long time. But in those situations, what do you do? A lot of people get in those places where it doesn't work the way they think that it was going to or thought that it was going to, and so they bail out. They give up. Folks, anybody can follow the word. Anybody can be a doer of the word when it's easy. That was uh, Satan's accusation against God regarding Job. God said about Job, have you considered my servant? He's a perfect man. Look at this guy. And Satan said, well, yeah. Look at all the good stuff you're doing for him. Let me touch him. Let me do something bad. Let's see how he does then. Well, he didn't measure up too good then, did he? Anybody can follow God when things are easy. It's easy to praise God when you've got a pocket full of money, isn't it? Yeah, glory to God. God is good. Prosperity is ours. Scrimp and save and scratch for a couple of months or a couple of years or whatever it is. What you going to do then? I know without a shadow of a doubt that the only thing that got us through in what was for us impossible situations was that we were doers of the word. There were times where I'd go to the Lord and say, Lord, I didn't bargain for this. You didn't tell me about this. This is your fault. But all the time, the Holy Spirit was trying to get me ready. There were times where I went to the Lord and said, this is too tough. I quit. The Lord said, okay, what are you going to do? Well, yeah, what am I going to do? Don't get me wrong. There were other things I could have done. I could have gone and got a job. This is not the only thing that I'm qualified for. I'm not saying the job would have worked. Probably wouldn't. But this is the only thing that God told me to do. So whatever else I do, I'm not going to be happy. So what am I going to do? I'm going to keep doing the word. I'm going to keep saying what God's word says. I'm going to keep confessing plenty in the midst of lack. I'm going to stick to what I started with, even though I was wrong in how it was going to go. But I learned a great lesson, folks. I learned that it's just as big a miracle to have manna in the wilderness as for the walls of Jericho to fall down. Now, because I've been a doer of the word in that respect, because of the things that we learn, the foundation that established for us, I've got strong confidence. I, I've, every now and then I'll talk to somebody and they'll ask them how they're doing or whatever, and they'll say, you know, we just had some people that have been with us for a long time, big givers in our church, and they left. And boys, it's going to be tough. Well, I can tell you, I couldn't care less. Well, I don't want to say it that way. It makes, sound, makes it sound like I'm uncaring, and I'm not uncaring. But if everybody that gives anything decides to leave the church, that's not going to change what we do. I am so free. And it all goes back to that situation I had with the building. Now, if the money had come in because people had given in great abundance and so forth, I don't know what I'd be like. I don't know if I'd look around the room and say, oh, well, so-and-so's here. I better not say this this morning. Make sure not to offend anybody. You know how many churches operate that way? I don't know how people do it. I just don't know. I mean, what do you do when you prepare your sermon? Have different sermons for whoever shows up? I don't know how that's supposed to work. But because of the strong confidence that we have, because God's word works, I don't have to be afraid of anything. And oh boy, there is a liberty in that that I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. The fear of the Lord tendeth to life. It tends to life. It always ends up in life and blessing and goodness. It may not look like it's going to be hunky-dory at the first, but it always turns out for your benefit. Amen? Well, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. How precious your word is. Sweeter than honey, more precious than gold. Father, what a privilege it is to be doers of your word. 
I thank you, Father, that as we feed our spirits on your word, as we meditate in it day and night, as we do it and live it in our lives, as we give it first place, we thank you, Father, that we hear the voice of the Spirit, we hear the leading of the Holy Ghost, and you always lead us into victory. Thank you, Father, that there's no adversity, there's no hard place, there's no difficulty that's greater than your word or greater than the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. We can't go under, Father, because we're standing on your word and it'll never go down. Thank you, Father, for seeing us through. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.